Mm. All right. Hey, guys. What's going on? Um, I'm Chef Matt DeMille. Uh, welcome to a new episode, episode number four or five uh, of Talk With Your Mouthful, the podcast where I sit down with uh, um, people from different walks of life and we chat all about food. And today I'm joined by Nick Pujic. Did I say your last name right? You did. I don't think I've ever said your last name to you. Um, but that's a Pujic. Okay. And, uh, and what we're having today on the show, I've made an elk chili. Uh, I got elk meat from Greg DeMille. Shout out to Greg DeMille. And uh, I made a chili with it. And uh, but yeah, Nick, thanks for thanks for doing this, man. Dude, thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, anytime you want to show up in my office and, and cook, <laughs> you just come on over. Yeah. Okay, let's do twelve more podcasts. Yeah, like tomorrow, yeah. the next day. Let's Whatever. Just different parts of the elk. Okay. So, yeah, you know, I'll just cook them in different ways. So the reason why I brought the elk chili, we're we're talking about the elk, is, uh, and I'll let you expand on that. But sure. Nick is uh, is a, a big big hunter, big fisher. Owner of, the, but give us a quick bio, thirty second bio, thirty second bio. Yeah, just a little like you know. Sure. So, um, aha, I've been fishing all my life, as as far back as I can remember. Yeah. I started fly fishing when I was 14, 15 years old, and that kind of took over as a as a huge passion of mine. Cool. And then um, I'm a TV producer. I, I film hunting and fishing shows and outdoor adventure shows and stuff like that. And through my work, about eight years ago. Um, I had an opportunity to film a hunt for the first time. Right. It was in California. It was for black-tailed deer. And literally that hunt changed my life. Uh, it was the first time I was, I was exposed to hunting. I never had anything against it. I just didn't have the opportunity to go myself. Right. Um, even though I'd always fished. And right then and there, I fell in love with it. And more specifically, um, really got into archery, like developed a pa uh, passion for, for bow hunting. Right. And ever since then, it's kind of consumed me. I still fish and fly fish and all that, but uh, archery is just such a huge component of my life. And a big reason why is the food that comes with it. Yeah, there you so, go. So, you know, having eaten fish that I catch all my life, um, it's been fun, but there's just something um, about the experience of harvesting an animal, a big game animal, and then bringing it home to your family and, and cooking it up. And yeah. uh, I'm just in love with it. Right. Right. That's cool, man. That was longer than 30 seconds. No, no, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. So, okay, so you, you own Vantage Point Media House, which is uh, focused around your passion, which is hunting. Or do you do other stuff? Or yeah, no, just... we do all kinds of stuff. So oh, okay, okay. We produce uh, video, and yeah. it, it could be in the form of television, which not often is, but uh, these days more and more digital streaming stuff. Right. Um, and I would say our niche has been hunting and fishing and, yeah and those are direct equivalents of my own passions so yeah. it's easy to <laughs> you know be, get pumped about coming to work and yeah. stuff but uh, it's not limited to that we do mainstream stuff as well we cool. do corporate stuff so yeah it's funny archery dig in man if you please have yeah uh, i'm gonna have go for bite. it go for it <laughs> no eat as much as you want so it's funny because like you say i feel like archery specifically there's something I mean, you know, when you meet when you meet a hunter or someone that like loves hunting, it's like they love it, you know. Yeah. But there's something about archery, like people who love archery are different. You know what I mean? There's like something where they're you, like their eyes are just like. I, I personally equate it to fly fishing. So to me, archery is harder. Yes. And it's it's a test within yourself of of how far you're willing to go to achieve your goal. 
And it, for me personally, it took me three years of hunting to harvest my first deer. Three years. Three years. So a lot, so a lot of patience. A lot of patience. Yeah. So you have to be okay with being unsuccessful. Right. But you learn from every hunt, whether you're successful or not, and you try to apply that knowledge as you move forward through your own kind of hunting expertise. So you tweak it. You, make you little tweak tweaks. it. Yeah. And, and the reason is you have to be within, I mean, I'm going to say 50 yards, 60 if you're damn good, but right. 50 yards within an animal. Of the animal. Whereas with the rifle, you can roll out of the truck and shoot one at 300 yards. And it's great. Nothing against rifle yeah. hunting. I've done it. But uh, it's a different experience. Your yeah. heart doesn't necessarily beat as fast. That animal's not just looking into your eyes yeah. at 300 yards. You can see it's more personal. It's way more <coughs> personal. And, and I would describe hunting as the highest highs and the lowest lows. Like right. It, it, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. And uh, when you miss a shot or when you're, you know, mess up a, a, an opportunity at a shot, it's devastating. <clears throat> yeah. It's devastating if you hit an animal and it's it's not how you wanted to hit it and, and yeah. now you have an unethical kill. That will, that will make a grown man cry. Yeah. Yet when you are successful and you achieve a dream or you get that buck you've been chasing there's for no years, fear. there's nothing, nothing <laughs> like that. Like you are vibrating for days. Yeah. So... That's crazy because I mean, when you say like the lowest lows, like if you don't, get, you know, if you don't get anything, <clears throat> you really have to sort of respect or or appreciate where you are. You know what I mean? Just take everything in because you know, even though I might not get anything today, oh well, it's like I got to hang out with these people. And it was a beautiful day. Yeah. You know, like I would say, like uh, hunting is for people that don't hunt. They they think hunting is killing, and yeah. uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Right. If you count the days as any hunter that you spend in out there in the field trying to be successful and then you count the number of days where you actually pull the trigger or send an arrow flying yeah it's a fraction right fraction of the time so if you're into killing hunting is not the right thing for right you. right um it's about being there it's almost i compare it to church to yeah. be honest with you some yeah. people go to church some people go, go sit hunting. in a tree right yeah. it's it's therapeutic yeah, very much it. Yeah. yeah. And that was going to be one of my questions <clears throat> later later down the line is like, you know, for the people that might listen to this or people who are like, oh, you know, hunting is killing and it's blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, then I, I went out with Victor a few months ago to do yeah. to do hunting and it's a complete, it's, it's, it's a different game. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And we, we didn't see anything that day, but it was, it was very relaxing and very, uh, you, you learn, you learn something new every day. So it. Dude, we're so busy these days, right? Like, life is busy. It's yeah. never been busier, arguably. And uh, when is the last time you sat in a tree or in a blind, hidden, completely silent, and watched the world around you yeah. wake up? and did nothing. And did nothing yeah. except observe. Yeah. So you, you become aware of things that you just otherwise don't absorb because you're looking at your phone or you're driving to work or you're racing to get to school or work on time or whatever. Um, whereas when you're hunting, you're, you're, you know, you hear a twig break, you're, you're looking to see what made that noise. So your senses oh. are, are heightened hundred <clears throat> percent because there's nothing ha like, it's just, you're noticing the smaller things. Absolutely. Right. You, we've lost that connection to nature. And yeah. for me personally, I love just sitting there and watching the forest wake up. You know, first it'll be the birds, then it'll be the squirrels and then the rabbits. And then you might see a deer or whatever. Right. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we don't get that opportunity without dedicating the time to go out there. So even if I've not even seen a deer, if I happen to be deer hunting, yeah. I truly enjoy just being there right. and, and being a part of that. And I feel like that's good for my mental health. Um, 
I need that time. It gives you time to think. Not that necessarily I want to be thinking about a lot when yeah. I'm hunting, but just straighten you, straighten your thoughts and yeah, yeah, you have this this period of time where you could be alone with your thoughts if that's what you want to do, right. which is which is hard these days. Yeah, definitely, definitely, especially especially with all the noise around us, right? Yeah, um, and and all the devices and and what's um. The thing that I found crazy, and we'll, we'll get to like the, I want to get to the food part here in a bit, but, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing that I found crazy is just how cunning, you know, like we, we put so much work into the hunt, uh, at least from what I've seen when I learned how to do it, you put so much into the hunt, and you know, you have this different equipment, and you have like all these different moves, and and you're literally, you know, you're going after something that just comes by these things naturally, like each animal animals are so cunning yeah and, and, it, and it blows my mind that that's just their normal nature you know dude uh it's deep this is a like a deep rabbit hole yeah i would say because <laughs> in in nature especially for animals that uh, are considered big game that hunters pursue so mm -hmm. deer turkey things like that every day of their life something is trying to get them every day of their life since being born all they know is i have to survive so right. their instincts are everything. They're not in a hurry. They have zero concept of time. They don't care. Right. If if legal time is uh, half hour before dark and after dark, they don't care that you really want them to show up during those legal hours. Yeah. If they feel like there's something that's not right and for any reason in any way, they're just straight up going to wait you out. Right. And uh, they're I, so smart. So smart. But that's that's how they survive. Yeah. And. Um, from a hunter's perspective, you know, a lot of times people try to get the most mature buck, which is the male deer, right? You know, with the biggest antlers and all that. And I get that. However, that buck <laughs> is so wise and has survived, probably been shot at a number of times. <laughs> Who knows yeah. the story, right? But that buck is so well versed with how he is pursued by natural predators, by man, that. It is a real accomplishment to even yeah. have an opportunity, let alone get one. Right. It's not something that happens. It can happen. I mean, beginner's luck, right? I'll take it. Yeah. But uh, it usually takes years to be successful and to be um, constantly successful, like to have continuity and be able to repeat success. Right. It, it's almost like they're all their senses. There's, they're very smart, but all their senses are very sensitive as well. Like, yep. <clears throat> you know, any little noise, any scent. Oh, any scent. Everything's just so tuned, right? So they, their scent is, I forget the scientific equation, but, you know, we use dogs <clears throat> to identify drugs, bombs, whatever, everything, right. cadaver dogs, all that stuff. Well, a deer's nose is like 400 times better than a dog's nose. Wow. So, oh my God. scent is everything. I, I you know have a lot of friends who get into hunting and, and ask, you know, what, how do they do it? And hunt the wind is an expression you'll hear a lot. Yeah. That's everything. If an animal smells you, you're straight up not going to see it. You're done. It's done. You're yeah. not even going to come. They're, they're going to smell you from so far away. You're not even going to know it was there and they're not coming wow. back. So if you hunt the wind, the theory is that the wind is blowing in your face, taking the scent behind you and you're hoping an animal comes from in front of you. So you always want to be downwind of a, Gotcha. Target. Yeah. And again, you know, th those are those details, like we were talking about. Oh, those yeah. are those details that, I mean, I guess you just, you have to learn. It's all, like you said, it's all with practice. It's all with experience. Yeah. You yeah. tweak it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the day has to be perfect too, right? Well, like, I, so um, if, 
you know, it varies what you're uh, pursuing. If mm-hmm. you're a duck hunter, you want different conditions than a deer hunter, um, than a turkey hunter, and so on and so forth. For me, I'm a deer hunter at heart. That's what gets the me blood, that high that, yeah. <laughs> that has just consumed me, right? From Dude, from where I live, the, the property we bought, like every aspect of my life has been touched revolved by around. deer. <laughs> yeah. Like you walk into my house, my wife hates it, but I, you know, like yeah. you could tell right away. <laughs> um, but so for deer, um, they're, they're mostly nocturnal. And uh, it takes a lot to motivate that animal to want to move in the daylight because it knows it's more susceptible than at night. Uh, okay. So there, there are combinations of weather, time of year, uh, rut or mating activity <clears throat> cycles that put the odds in your favor. So you, sh- you feel like you need to be in a tree or wow. in a blind during those conditions when they all line up. Even things like moon phase are I was going to say, yeah, because when I, I cooked for you before for your Christmas party and... Yeah. You were talking about the moon phase. Yeah. Yeah. And so explain that. Like, how does that work? So little known fact, moon phase affects every living organism. Right. Including humans. You know, people say, oh, the emergency room at the hospital is crazy. Um, okay. Sorry that we had a little bit of a... No worries. Man. A little bit of a, uh, a little uh, technical technical difficulties there. Anyway, so the, the moon phase. Moon phase yeah. has been... Keep eating. Yeah. Keep eating. Mm. Please. That was Sorry. a welcomed uh, technical thing. <laughs> Moon phase affects brain activity, even in people, okay? So yeah. even though we're kind of numb to it, you ask an emergency room nurse, she'll tell you on a full moon there's that ER is packed. Right. Okay? In an animal world, the full moon, A, provides more light as long as there's not an abundance of cloud cover. But it also, it, it starts the running phase. So deer don't have a calendar to look at and say, oh, hey, it's November 1st, I want to rut today yeah the, these cycles are initiated by gravitational pull and moon phase salmon run up a river they start running up a river during a full moon in september so they so it's crazy so they know so the moon just that gives them they either see it or they gives them this natural instinct yep. to be like click okay yep it's time wow yeah so it's called uh photophase i believe it has to do with the amount of light during the day and then the amount of light during the night and gravitational pull yeah and that's what kicks off these natural cycles because that's all these animals have temperature and moon phase that's what dictates every cycle for every animal on earth yeah wow it's crazy it's, it is crazy mm-hmm. and and you know i i mean a lot of people i never thought about it that that much before you know the, the whole moon phase thing but and it, I mean, not just not just animals as well, but like even you know the ocean and oh yeah, it's just it, it your tides so are much. dictated by yeah. The moon. yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so the food aspect of things, um, yeah. And I know you've been you've been cooking a lot. I mean, you're you're a huge foodie. Huge. You love food. What what's sort of okay? So you take down an animal. What's the advantage in your opinion? Like um, venison. Uh, whatever, whatever it may be. Sure. What's the advantage to like having that meat? I mean, like volume must be amazing. It is right. Like boom, the freezer. You know, like you take an animal, the freezer's full. Yeah. Right. So I mean, from a from a value perspective, like that's amazing. Well, I do just want to tell you that it is by far the yeah. most expensive meat you'll have in your freezer. There you go. By the time yeah. you add, you know, if there's a misconception that you hunt so you can save money on food. Right. No. That's that's not. Oh, so not works. okay. I see what you're saying. No, I see what you're saying. <laughs> By the time you're done paying for your out, your gear, your weapons, your trips, yeah. your tags, your whatever, it's a little pricey. It's it's like fifty bucks a pound. I'm sure. Jeez. You know. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. There's an abundance of it. You don't get it in you know 
yeah. bits at a time. Um, is venison, you, like I know you love hunting deer, is it your favorite animal to eat as well? No, I, I'm a big fan of venison, but I would say personally my favorite big game animal is elk, followed by moose, followed by pronghorn antelope, which there's one on the wall yeah. right there. We should, throw up, we should throw up a photo of that. In, yeah, uh, in I got it. whatever you need. That's cool. Um, um, where did so? Where did you get that? So that's you, that's a Wyoming antelope. Right. That's the only antelope in North America. It's the fastest land mammal in North America. It wow. can run over 100 kilometers an hour for short distances, and its closest relative is the giraffe. So no way. Figure that out. Yeah. 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 I guess like the spots on the neck, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little bit small. That's a particularly big one, but they're a little bit smaller than our deer. Right. Um, just super fast and uh, really unique looking. That's crazy. Tasty. And, and just side note, Wyoming is one of my favorite places to hunt, not just because it's awesome and there's tons of animals, yeah. but all the animals eat out there is wild sage. That's all there is oh. for it, as far as the eye can see. So, so super flavorful. Oh my God. It's pre-marinated yeah. basically. Yeah. 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 Every it's animal gonna... tastes like whatever right. it eats. Right. Oh, you know what? Actually, now that you mentioned that. That's something good to talk about is um, the flavor of the meat. So, you know, a lot of people who haven't tried venison or or game meat or, you know, or they say, oh, you know, it tastes too gay. Or maybe some people who have tried a little bit, they're like, oh, it's gamey tasting. But the strength of the flavor, correct me if I'm wrong, the strength of the flavor has a lot to do with how you process the animal. It does and it doesn't. So there's multiple factors okay. that impact the flavor of a wild game animal. If we're just going to talk about deer, because that's probably your most common right. you know, big game animal. Um, a deer that's near agriculture, that's near corn and soy farms. I mean, we're in southeastern Ontario. Right. Pretty much all of our farming is for soy or corn. Um, and deer that live in areas where they can survive off that taste much, much different than deer that grow up in hardwoods and eat cedar branches and acorns and, and you know, natural food sources. Right. And it goes into the meat. It, you, it, can get... you can taste it without a doubt. Wow. So being aware of that should determine and, and influence how you prepare the meat and how you process the meat. Okay. Um, and dude, I feel like you're way better <laughs> on this than me. Yeah, no, but it's, but, I mean, I know the, I know the, the chefy guidelines, the preparing sure. game, you know, like what to, what to what wine to use or port yeah. or spices or uh, you know yeah but I mean I think I I never thought that the the process or where you hunted or the process would change it that much oh hundred percent even fish dude yeah. fish tastes like whatever they grew up eating so if you catch a uh, salmon from the ocean that's been eating shrimp and smelt and herring yeah. it's gonna taste way better than a salmon from Lake Ontario right um, or a trout from a natural river is going to taste way different than a trout pond fish that's been eating liver pellets and right. it tastes like mud. So oh, it's the same crazy. for yeah, any yeah, yeah. animal, so yeah. including deer. Wow. Because they yeah. eat that so consistently, right? It's not like yeah, they yeah. have it, no, you know, it's... oh, tonight is pellet night. They have mm-hmm. pellets like every day, right? Every day, three times or whatever the schedule is. Yeah. yeah. But I will say this. One thing I've learned is it's a couple things. A, if you have a hunter around you, that's been doing it their whole life rely on their expertise. They know things and yeah. can teach you things that are worth learning. Yeah. And uh, I picked up a lot of my knowledge from friends that were lifelong hunters and I knew them through fishing. Um, and then, you know, we connected on another common passion, but, um, there's a lot of questions. If you start hunting, uh, people have theories on leaving their meat to hang, you know, deer 
to hang for days or weeks sometimes right. on a meat pole. Okay. Uh, whereas some people say, nope, process them right away. And you get a lot of opinions, but I, I can shed some light on that because it does make a difference in the taste, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a good idea to let meat cure, as you know. Right. So if you are in an environment that's cold enough and you've harvested a deer, you can let that deer hang for up to a week if you want, um, as long as it's wow. sanitary. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're aging the meat, which ultimately breaks down the proteins, makes it more tender, oh, gets right. some of the tannins out, uh, the blood comes out, obviously, um, and then it tastes better. So people have developed theories, why well, I need to let my deer hang. Well, if it's not cold enough, and by cold enough, I mean like under six degrees Celsius, Yeah. you don't want to let that meat hang because yeah, yeah. it's going to spoil. Right. So what you can do is you can age your meat after processing. So okay. I can do all my cuts. I can get my roasts, steaks, whatever I want, shanks. And then before I consume it, I can dry age it in my fridge or I can you know smoke it, whatever people want to do. Yeah. You just don't want to do both. You don't want to age it before processing and, and then, then after. And then it's too much. It's yeah, too yeah. much. Right. 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 And you can get bacteria. But the point is you want to age game meat. Okay. You want to age it, especially if it's not from an agricultural area where it's not going to have a strong taste to begin with. Right. If, if it has those natural flavors in there, age it, you're going to have a much better experience. Right. So it's going to soften. The, it's, it's, that bacteria is going to uh, soften it a little bit, but also the any sort of strong flavors will kind of they, subside a they bit. do yeah. they do it relaxes okay. more all the sinew and stuff the silver skin people say you want to tr trim as much of that out as possible however if you're doing a roast you got uh, muscle groups inside that roast you're not going to be able to expose right. to get rid of the silver skin so a way around it is to a slow cook it slow right uh, and, it, and it just kind of like melts it away B break it down yeah, break yeah, it yeah. down and age it okay and that gets rid of the bitterness because <clears throat> my from a chef's perspective, like my sort of rule of thumb was, you know, most game meat is fairly lean, mm -hmm, very, right? Very. Um, so mm -hmm. my uh, my sort of like rule of thumb was always either adding fat to it in some way, gotcha. you know, like wrapping it in bacon or sure. pancetta or yeah. um, uh, bar. Uh, there's there's a cooking term, super old school cooking term called like uh, barding or larding, okay. and that's where you use like a large needle and you thread fat. Gotcha. Th so you get some like mm -hmm. back fat from like a from a pig or something, and you thread it through the roast. Sure. But I mean, that's it's a, a little more time consuming, you know. So the reason every the majority of wild game meat is lean is because. Unlike domestic animals, these things are surviving every day. They're constantly moving. They're constantly moving. Right. They're swimming for their life or yeah. they're running for their life, right? They're yeah. not accumulating fat. Um, so it, you, typically even a turkey, a wild turkey is way leaner than a domestic turkey. Right. Duck has has a reputation for being it's fatty. It's right? Like, it's, yeah. oh, it's a red meat. looks yeah. like steak. But uh, if you buy duck at a restaurant, most times it's farm duck. Yeah. And it's a very lazy animal and it's full of fat. And people say, ah, oh, I don't like duck. It's too it's fatty. Too fatty. Well, if you go out and shoot a couple of ducks, you'll, huh. you'll be hard pressed to find much fat. It'd right. Be, it'd wow. be comparable to a chicken. Huh. And so as far as wild turkeys go, I've heard people say before that their legs are, are there's nothing on the legs. Like literally you can just eat the breast and that's it pretty much. Um, I mean, it's up to you. Like I yeah. try to personally, I don't kill anything that I don't plan on eating. Right. Unless it's a predator, like a coyote, in which case <laughs> yeah, yeah. I let them have it. The bullies, yeah. Yeah, the bullies. But um, 
I also try to, to harvest as much meat off an animal as possible. Right. So the legs, the turkey legs, you can actually get a bit of meat off of them, okay. but it's better in like a soup or a stew. You it's stew not it going to be a meal on its own. You're yeah, not going to yeah, eat yeah. it like a drumstick. Right. It's going to be too tough. I feel like a tur- like a wild turkey is sort of like, you know, the underdog. Like out in the wild, I feel like the animals are making fun of the wild turkey, you know? like and are an ugly <laughs> animal, bro. You know, and, the, and it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of like this guy that walks around and makes weird noises and i mean they're kind of pretty i guess but you know it's an easy animal to hunt if you're just getting into hunting because they're not interpersonal they're right not, they're not you're not they don't they're not fluffy they don't have these big <laughs> cute eyes yeah. it's not like a deer you know yeah it's this ugly bird man and their attitudes suck they fight they even the the females the hens which you don't typically hunt yeah but uh like They'll come and beat up your decoys, and you know those decoys. <laughs> they're not are, nice. Oh, they're not nice. Probably because they're ugly. I don't know, man. <laughs> and their heads change color. I don't know if you ever seen a strutting turkey, but they'll go from a red to a blue. Right. And they have like a that gobbler balls that on their called? chin. Yeah, Ballsack. it's called a. Uh, I forget the name now, but yeah, yeah. It, it it makes the gobbling noise, and they have a snood. It's called a snood, which comes up above the beak, and it's like this dangly piece of skin. Ugh. Yeah. Not a pretty animal. Yeah, no. Not a pretty animal. No. And they're hairy. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Cool What's, looking birds, but not. not what are some of your, uh, with whatever whatever game meat, what are your, some of your favorite so recipes, you, cuts? Yeah, I mean, I, I truly enjoy, even the tough cuts, I try to find ways to make them happen and be good. Because um, you've been cooking like, the other night, what, you made like the, it was, was it a loin of something yeah. with the big fat cap? Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. Is, what was so that? So that was mule deer from Wyoming. Crazy. Um, it was so good. It's, it's so a lot good. of species, right? Yeah. I mean. Of, of every animal? Typically, it's white-tailed deer, mule deer, uh, moose, elk, and pronghorn. Those are your big ones in uh, North America. Okay. And then you have wild turkey and, uh, and ge- geese, ducks, um, and then fish. I would yeah. say North America, that pretty much is 95%. That's the big, yeah. the big ones. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I saw a moose or a caribou, like I've, I've never seen one, or a bear. Yeah. But I feel like those animals are animals that it, you just would not believe your eyes at first. You know, like just the sheer size of them. Oh, they're huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially a moose or an elk even. I mean, it's like, can be the size of a cat. Wow. Right? And there's, a, there's elks in Ontario, right? Yeah, there's elk like 20 minutes from here. Wow. Because I'm gonna look at him sometime. If you yeah, a, a, f- a friend of the family s- used to drive north to photograph them. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's not that far north, right? Like no, like uh, they're, they're I've seen elk in Shannonville. Really? Yeah, but to, like right now, there's a herd of 48 um, just south of Tweed. Wow. Yeah, and they come down for the winter, and then they go towards um, just south of um, Bancroft, like Maynooth. Right. And, um, is that because it's warmer, just to get a little yeah. bit of warmer climate? And we have farms. So once you uh, cross mostly. Highway 7, I would say, yeah, it's more cattle farming and livestock than right. it is corn and soy and things like that. Okay. So these animals migrate down. A, it's warmer, less snow, like mm-hmm. not as deep, easier to get away from coyotes and wolves. And B, there's man-made farms everywhere, so they know... If they, Snacks. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Even after the corn or beans have been harvested... There, there's so much that are spilled on the ground that right. they can survive for a long, long time. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, elk are, elk look crazy, man. They're they're a huge animal. You were sorry. You were saying yeah. back to cooking. You know your favorite cuts and stuff. You like to tough cuts. You like to work with those. So sorry. All time favorite is yeah. like back straps. You hear people talking about, which is your uh, inside tendons or your tenderloins. Okay. Um, super soft. Super soft. Yeah. I mean that is the cherry 
of every animal. Yeah. Um, however, they're very small, relatively speaking, versus the, the remainder of the meat you get. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, uh, if I roast or something like that, I've really gotten into the sous vide. Oh, cool. Stuff. Do you do, do, you do oh, sous vide yeah. at home? Oh, yeah. Dude, that's and crazy. Then and then sear it after. Because, right. Because uh, that's one way to not dry out that lean meat. Right. Right? You just stick it in a bag, flavor it. I, I personally like sliced butter while it's hard. Ooh. Throw it in there. Yeah. Throw in my spices. Throw in my herbs. Seal the bag. Let it cook for... So that just melts melt right it. into the... The butter melts. And oh. like, dude, it's so... And then sear it at the end. Right. And that's one way to not mess up or overcook a very lean piece of meat. And it comes out so good. Because that... You know what? I never even thought of sous vide because um, you're really gently cooking... Yeah. The, the and you're not losing any moisture whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so again, from from a chef's perspective, when it comes to game meat, you know, you're kind of like, oh, clove or juniper, uh, caraway, star, you know, star anise mm -hmm. stuff like that. Do you do you tend to like go crazy with the spices? Do you kind of like keep things a little more? Well, well I, taste the meat, right? You want to taste the meat because the yeah. meat does have a taste, but you also have a personal palate. Whatever, and preferences yeah. that are suited to you. So for me, I use a lot of rosemary, thyme, sage, um, always butter. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the Traeger rubs. I have to say they've done a good job for right. a mass-made, commercialized yeah. item. The, yeah. the specialized rubs are really good. So there's a big game rub. Nice. Then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a Traeger rub. There's a Finn and Real Feather Real Tree rub. makes that, right? Uh, Real Tree, like, sponsor, like it's a licensed this, product. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe, but yeah. It's, it's a Traeger-branded rub. Cool. Um, there's also another line called High Mountain Seasonings, which are out of Wyoming. Right. Specifically for game meat. Uh, but it's a lot of like, you know, salt, pepper, paprika, garlic powder, onion powder. It, it, yeah. Same stuff you would use or find in your kitchen already, just in proportions suited to, to wild game. Right. Sous vide, that's such a good, that's, I'm going to try that. That's oh, such a good trick. It'll change your life. Game too. changer, right? Yeah. Um, what about, uh, do you have any like, like, a story or or a hunt that you just you will never ever forget like is there you do, which you don't have to tell yeah i do man but yeah. but like what's one where you're just like you know i mean there's there's many and yeah. i've not been hunting a lifetime i've been hunting eight years um but every year i i some of my favorite memories ever are something to do with hunting and uh this season that just passed my but hands down you know had a great season saw a lot of things uh was with a lot of friends that achieved their goals and i was super wow. pumped to be there but my favorite memory is my son got to harvest his first year wow and i, I mean that's burning he's great man drive. every yeah. time i see a picture of your kid he's just just the biggest oh, smile right like you never forget that and good. he'll never forget that yeah and it's it's special man and just to have an opportunity to do that because you work so hard for it, right? Like you yeah. know everything. So speaking of working so hard, like <clears throat> tell me about like the stalking is what blows my mind. That's awesome, right? The stalking of the animal, you know, uh, the cameras, the footprint. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. so, like you, you kind of it's like I don't know, like training for a. Uh, a fight or like a marathon, right? You're yeah. like, yep. You tr you know train for all oh, this yeah. period of time, and it's like, boop. You know, it, it's it culminates, right? There's an apex to the to the yeah. whole thing. So, um, white-tailed deer hunting usually is called uh, involves still hunting, and that means sitting in a tree very passively, 
or sitting in a ground blind very passively waiting for that deer to come right. to you. There are exceptions. Yes, you can call. Yes, you can rattle. But 99% of the time, you're sitting down, shutting up, and praying that this animal comes to you. Right. Which is fine. However, when the flip side of that is elk hunting, let's say. You call this elk, you bugle at um, a bull elk, which is a male elk. And he bugles back, and now you're challenging him, and he comes to you. So he, so he thinks there's another dude over there. He thinks, yeah, there's a there's a dude coming to take my cows, the okay. female elk, and and in that type of hunt, it's very active. You're not sitting in one spot; you're moving because he thinks the the bull elk thinks you're another elk. So elk don't sit still; they move around. So right. you want to call from here, and then you want to go over there on that ridge and call from there a little bit closer. Oh. always staying down you're playing a game with them you're playing a game okay and then eventually you know fingers crossed everything goes well he comes to you and that's a whole different right high if you will and they move in herds right elk? they move in herds yep there's always uh, a herd, herd bulls so like the biggest baddest one right who's in charge and then there's what's called satellite bulls which are basically uh, other bulls that are smaller but they stay on the fringes and they're constantly challenging the herd herd bull so the herd bull might have 20 oh, cows to himself. Okay. He can't keep an eye on 20 of them at the same 20 time. 20 girlfriends. 20 girlfriends. Jeez. And these other dudes are challenging him constantly. So he's running around and fighting them off. And by the time he fights that one off, there's another one over here. It's not an easy job. No, man. Jeez. You got to take care of your, man, 20 girlfriends. That's crazy. Yeah. So you got to perfect like the call. You got to perfect the, the stock to get closer. Right. Uh, in that scenario, not only are you after the bulls, but there's 20 cows, 30 cows, 40 cows sometimes. They all have eyes. That's a lot of eyes, man. Yeah. yeah. To not get busted and get close within bull range. It's it's hard. So he, so you're calling him, you're, you're pretending that you're like this from another herd or you're a yeah. satellite bull and you're like, I want the crown. Yeah. Let's let's do this, and then he, yeah, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's addicting, man. Yeah, and and it's way more engaging than still hunting when you're just waiting there. Yeah, you know, yeah, this that's kind of like active. the one time the one time that I went out with Victor, and I sort of like, you know, we got all set up, and we got like our gear on and everything, and I was like. I'm like, dude, I got to pee. Victor, Victor was like, no, you don't. You don't actually. <laughs> Not and right it, now. No, you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like everything's again, everything's just so quiet everything's so sensitive that you just uh yeah so i learned learn from that just there's all kinds of styles of hunting that's really yeah. what it comes down to and some people just love that spot and stock um active approach some people love just sitting uh or some people love it all yeah like, and there's nothing wrong with it yeah what um you know say if someone hasn't tried game meat before and they're yeah. they're intrigued they want to give it a try they have a friend that hunts what what's a good starting point Sure. I, I, again, I would say like venison or maybe, I, I don't know. Uh, so the elk's pretty mild. Like, what I, would I you say? Elk. I mean, go with somebody who's been doing it a while. Or try, trust somebody who's been cooking game meat for as long as possible. Right. I know a ton of people who had a really bad experience. One time that they tried venison, for example, and they'll never try it again. But chances are that venison wasn't process properly something went wrong exactly you know and they're they're not willing to give it another chance whereas experience counts so if you have the luxury of trying somebody's cooking of game meat that's been doing it for years and years yeah they probably know how to do it right they knew do it right yeah and chances are it's going to be deer it's going to be venison because it's the most widely available game animal right um but if you have a chance to try elk or moose 
Like, if it's cooked properly, you're going to have a really hard time telling it apart from the best beef you've ever had huh. in your life. Wow. Yeah, visually and taste-wise. And I think from a nutrition um, nutrition standpoint, I mean, what? how, how can you beat... You can't. You know. So there, there's more protein per gram than in any domesticated uh, livestock. Wow. For one. There's never any antibiotics or any kind of chemicals pumped into it. No. It's <clears> pure, right? It's it's pure. And, yeah. And this opens up a whole different conversation that I don't know <laughs> if you want to get into, but it's um, the most ethical meat you can eat. You know, there's days, there's a lot of talk about we should cut back on how much meat we eat because it's not good for the environment. And there's some truth to that, to, to raising livestock. And right. On a mass scale, on a world demand scale, it's yeah. not a sustainable deal. Uh, however, uh, hunting is a uh, loophole there because these animals exist already. So we're not farming them per se. Yeah. They, they are in existence. They live a free life. They live the life they're meant to live. And uh, there's very strict regulations on when you can hunt, how you can hunt, what weapons, and so on, so that it's uh, considered fair chase. Um, and basically, you harvest an animal as ethically as possible, meaning the quickest, cleanest death you can provide it. Right. Whereas in nature, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a deer get taken out by coyotes, but it's very gruesome and very prolonged. Very prolonged, right. And heartbreaking, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we deal with that in the most ethical way that we can. And I, that's a duty as a hunter, I think. You're not a hunter if you but, don't take that serious. Yeah, and I think the numbers, you know, the numbers too, when you look at, uh, I mean, when you look at one deer, you're like, okay, it's just this poor little guy by himself. But the, when, when the season comes around, the number of animals is astonishing, right? Like that, It's surprising, yeah. yeah. So, so it varies geographically, uh, and there's factors such as uh, food sources, so farms that uh, can increase deer density, or decrease it. Um, in Canada, I would say we have an average, like in Ontario, I should say, uh, of five deer per square kilometer. So, huh. however, if you go south a little ways to Pennsylvania or Virginia, Maryland, they yeah. have something like 22. Wow. So, do you like hunting in the States? Like, you travel a lot, it. right? I love it. Yeah. 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 It's nice, it's nice. I mean, it must be nice. It's like anything, like fishing or, you know, you, yeah. it's, it's cool to go check out a different area, different looking species, right? Yeah. But you've been, have you been like down to Africa? You've been down I've to been Africa? In, so is that, yeah. That's cool. That's Poland, cool. Man. South Africa. This year I'm going to New Caledonia, which is by Fiji wow. uh, for deer. It's taken me around the world, man. Is there, is there deer all around? Are there yeah. these animals all around the world? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. like the oldest deer that still exists today are... Um, Chinese water deer and muntjac. I had a chance to hunt them last a year ago, actually almost exactly last February. Yeah, in England, and that sounds weird, but they're Asiatic deer. However, they're in England because many, many, many years ago they were gifted to the King of England from whatever, right, whomever. And during the World War, when uh, London was bombed, the Royal Gardens were destroyed, and all of these King's deer and collections from all over the world were basically uh, let loose right? Uh, because the fences were broken and now they've populated rural England cool. and they're a nuisance. Huh. So you can go and hunt them. Yeah. Uh, which is wild. So, yeah, but deer are, bit, deer are prehistoric. That's that's amazing. Like what, And okay, so South Africa, that must have been, I mean, just completely, yeah. you know, you go anywhere and it's different, but like talk about a completely different place, uh, um, climate. Yeah the way everything looked, right? So Africa's a good one to talk about because there's many misconceptions. People consider hunting in Africa trophy hunting and and is 
trophy hunting is usually judged upon by yeah. uh, people who don't hunt. Yeah. Um, because you, you go over there, you shoot an animal that you can't get anywhere else, you take your picture with it, right. and you come back here and you post it and you're considered cruel. Right. Uh, so I can tell you that I can understand why that looks that way as an outsider at first, but having done it and witnessed what um, the impact of the, uh, of the hunters have on the economy, the local economy, impoverished places, man, that have nothing left right. except to take tourist hunting are basically it this is a lifeline for those people so you're so you're helping support your economy you're, you're single-handedly helping these people live not only that what i've learned is the only reason those animals exist in africa is because they have a value if trophy oh, hunting stopped today poaching every animal there would be wiped out inside of a year from poachers from poachers oh. so the reason that there's anti-poaching squads that patrol these preserves night and day, 24-7. Right. Is because people come and pay money to go and hunt these animals. So it's controlled. It's 100% controlled. Okay. Very highly regulated. Okay. Just like it is here. Yeah. Like you can't just go shoot something right now with <laughs> yeah. a tag or a license. Right. Same thing there, except it's a lot more money, and that money goes a lot further there than it does here. Right. So they can fund anti-poaching squads. They can fund regulation conservation through the money that comes in through hunting from hunting if there was no money they would they would all end up on the black market for the gallbladders and whatever yeah else. yeah and and correct me if i'm wrong too but some of your catch or, or, or well, some of your hunt goes towards so in, in the case locals. of africa specifically um you cannot import unprocessed meat from Africa into North America, period, end of story. Okay. So 100% of it. So you consume it while you're there because it's so good, delicious, Yeah. first of all, and good. You want to consume as much of it, but obviously you can't eat the whole animal. Right. Um, so whatever's left goes directly to the to the place and the locals and the villages that you're huh. supporting. Are they hunting these, no, these animals? No, they can't the afford to. Wow. So, okay. so I got a story. I went in 2015 and um, you're paired up with a guide in what's called a bushman or your tracker who's typically an indigenous to that area right and uh, butas was our bushman's name and i i would engage him in conversation as much as i could because i just i was fascinated by his skill of tracking animals and yeah. just what i could only imagine what he would have seen over his course of uh or tenure of having that job and i asked him how long he'd been doing it he said 17 years I said awesome man i'm like i can only imagine the stuff you've hunted and he said i've never killed an animal Huh. And I was like, why? He's like, well, it's like, you know, it's thousands and thousands of dollars to do so. So I gave him my last tag. We had multiple tags and we filmed him harvesting his first antelope ever in his life. Holy and that he later then took to his family. And it was just like so one of the most special experiences. Yeah, because he, he's, oh, he spent all that time tracking them, can't afford to hunt them. You gave him the tag and yeah. he was able to. For the first time in 17 years. Dude. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. So and just, you, you, I mean, to have that kind of impact he must on have, somebody. Oh yeah, yeah, freaked Dude. out. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, yeah. it was pretty awesome. So but anyway, so they consume all the meat. You can't bring it back. I wish you could, but obviously, yeah. there's, uh, you know, food inspection agencies going to tell you. Yeah, that'd be a little yeah. little sticky, right? You can import stuff from uh, from the states, though. Right. So if you were right, so, so this fishing hunting came from Idaho. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. No. And so how would you do that? Do you just like pack it up, like freeze it down? Uh, you don't have to freeze it. You have to have it professionally processed. Okay. You cannot have any brain matter because there's a disease. There's multiple diseases. Brainworm is one. And then chronic wasting disease 
um, can travel through brain membranes. So your skull cap, if you're bringing back the trophy, it has to be pressure washed, zero brain matter. Huh. And you have to present your tag. Your tag is basically your license to possess that. It's, it shows that you've legally been okay. allowed to, to harvest that and possess that meat. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's, it's amazing. I, I thought it was great when I first heard that you could bring it over. Yeah. That you could, you know what I mean? Like bring well, these animals over. cross every day. Well, right? that's true. They don't stop. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not allowed. Yeah. I'm not allowed. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep eating, man. Um, well, that's, that's amazing. I, didn't, I, never, I never realized that. So you're, so you're, going, you're traveling this year. And uh, when you're when you want to travel for hunting, like what do you what are you looking for? What do you are you just kind of like pick a place on a map and be like, ah, that looks cool, or do you? Well, typically you want to. It, it depends on what species you're after. Yeah, and there's there's tons. So you know that's a perf personal preference for right. me. Um, because I'm in love with deer, um, there's a deer called a red stag, which is uh, basically a European elk. Okay. Um, I travel for those because you can't get them here. Yeah, uh, and they're just magnificent, magnificent animals. And they—they're like elk when they call or when they yeah. cry. Like they it roar. is. It's they, it's crazy, dude, right? It'll make the hairs on the back of your neck stand when you're in the it woods. Sounds like a scream. You know yeah, <laughs> it is. Like yeah. when, when you hear that in the woods, you're just—it's indescribable. You're just like every ounce of you is alive and yeah in that moment. Like, right, you can't. That's part. Uh, I can't describe it. I wish yeah. I could. You know? Have you ever had, has anyone like, have you ever been out with anyone and they're like freaked out or like had to like leave or? Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, so for, for deer hunting, you, you walk in in the dark in the morning, right? And Which is, which is crazy. Which is itself, crazy. Like, yeah. Or bear hunting, you do the same thing. And, you know, people who maybe don't feel as comfortable in the woods in the dark uh, at first, yeah. Because it's pitch meltdown. dark. It's pitch yeah. dark. Or when you're walking out after a hunt. And you know there's bears around or whatever. Oh, my God. Um, the craziest thing I've had happen, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the woods. I typically don't get freaked out. But uh, I was bear hunting a couple of years ago, not far from here, about an hour north. And um, I left my stand early before the end of the legal hunt because the black flies were so bad. So yeah. This is a springtime hunt. And you can't spray anything, right? You can't well, put any... You dip, if you're hunting the wind, you can. You can. Okay, yeah. But, um, and, and you have these devices like a thermocell. That, that keeps the bugs away as much as possible but there is a finite maximum of any chemical like it's just there's too ma many of them to keep them away right, right. <laughs> and you're trying not to like swat them away and then you hit a point where you're like this isn't worth it I can't, right. I can't not you know, so annoying your ears and your eyes and you're just like mm, I'm going to the truck <laughs> so I climbed out of the tree I started hiking back to the truck and I'm on this little four wheeler trail and 20 yards in front of me stepped out a timber wolf and man, whoa! It's the first time I ever laid eyes on a timber wolf, like in the wild. This thing was all of I don't know, 180, 200 pounds. It was bigger than any dog I've ever seen in my life. Wow! It stepped on the trail, looked at me, and I was in such shock. I had a gun on my shoulder, but I didn't even think to react. I was just like, "Holy crap! That is huge!" And it just, you know, we had to stare down for five, six seconds, yeah. and then it crossed the trail it again, and it was gone. Like a timber wolf, just for those who, who maybe don't, like timber wolves are like the daddy of, of wolf they're wolves, right? Like animals. they're, yeah. They, they How make, high would that stand, like a timber wolf? Like, like its back was probably four and a half, five feet tall. No. Like, dude, I'm telling you. So big that I was in shock. I was like, yeah. this can't be. Yeah. <laughs> this thing is massive. Like it brought, like... 
That's crazy. It, people do hunt them. And when, when you see pictures of timber wolves, guys are holding up their front legs and the, the hind legs are still on the ground. So they're probably wow. six feet tall. Yeah. Like huge. And I think a lot of people probably don't realize, but like when you see most animals, or if you have an encounter with most animals, like they genuinely are, they don't care or right. they're more scared of you than they, yeah. you know what I mean? Yep. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I think people, it's like, you know, sharks, like people are just like, oh, that thing is just going to eat me. But right. I mean, I, you know. Uh, Sharks too. They got too much to do. To with us, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it's, yeah, they're not. You know, um, that's great, man. Well, thanks. Uh, geez, thanks for the chat, dude. This has dude, been so anytime. informative. Anytime. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope people you know to try try more game meat. I I love it. Uh, it's very versatile. Yeah. You know, um, like I've made this chili here with it. And uh, yeah, was there anything else uh, we wanted to go over? Or? I I just. I want to encourage people as much as I personally can to just keep an open mind. Yeah, um, you're out, and you're out like, again. You're outside. You're getting fresh air. Dude, yeah. There's so one thing. Just a quick fact. No, yeah, yeah. The number one fundraisers for conservation in North America are hunters. Wow. So like billions and billions and billions of dollars are raised every year. So the the proceeds from every tag I buy, every hunter's license, that money goes into con conserving animals huh. and it's not rivaled by any uh other organization or government um branch out there so right. without hunting we would lose all these things that uh, we have right and hunters aren't focused on annihilation or wiping out a species they're no. very very active in making sure that it's very regulated it's very, very regulated but also that that uh, there are sustainable populations you know there's groups like ducks unlimited for example that just build endless amounts of wetlands or dams to create wetlands so that we have ducks here. Right. And it's not about killing them. It's about making sure that they're going to be here for generations to right. come. There's tons of organizations. There's the Canadian uh, Wild Turkey Federation. There's the Atlantic Salmon Federation. There's uh, Quality Deer Management Association. There's the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I mean, it's right. endless. So there's a lot of funding, a lot of support through hunters going towards our 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 land, our wildlife. The majority. Our, wow. Not just like without it, there would we wouldn't have any. I didn't know that. Mm. That's great. And I think, to be honest, you know, like with, you know, people's first kind of perception of hunting is like you know, your uncle's sitting sure. back at a hunting camp. Maybe they'll do a bit of hunting, but it's like you know, they play cards, sure. they drink. It's a social eat. thing. Yeah. But but I think. You know, maybe, you know, that that does still happen. But, you know, like when you guys go out and hunt, you know, you guys are like, you document it. You guys are like super, uh, you guys, you know, you got your fitted stuff on and it's, you know, you're very organized. I just think the, you know, it's people who are hunting are are, are, are so very organized, especially more these days. You know what I mean? It's not just like, let's go to the hunting It has camp. evolved. You know, sure, yeah, sure. it's not sloppy. It's not. I think, you know, to each their own. And, yeah. and there's a lot of you know hunting camps where it is a social affair, and it's two weeks a year that guys get together and hang out in a cabin, and you can use your imagination on how much beer gets drank and everything else. And <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But uh, for me personally, it's the connection to my food, and I think never in history have we been more disconnected to our food. Very true. Kids Very true. these days that grow up in cities, nothing, nothing against them, nothing against cities, nothing against yeah. any of it. But people have lost that farm to table or forest to table connection. Right. They think food comes from a store. Right. Meat comes from a store. This is this is a way to connect at the most primitive level. It's the very start. This is how we made it this far. Yeah. 
We're forgetting more than we know, but we think we know everything. You know, and I think not just chefs, but like, you know, people in general, like listening, like, you, you know, you don't, you go to the, the grocery store and all your steaks are prepackaged, yeah. you know, and we have such a limited selection of steaks. It's like, you know, strip loin, ribeye, yeah. top sirloin and sure. stewing beef. That's sure. it. There's, there, there, you know, and the chicken breast is like chicken legs or chicken, you know, chicken mm -hmm. breast and it's packaged. And uh, I think, you know, I, I went fishing with a buddy two, two summers ago. Uh, anyways, I, and I caught a walleye mm -hmm. and I, we, we took it to shore and I cleaned it and I cooked it right on shore. Oh yeah. And, and it's crazy, like saying this as a chef, you know, because you, you think it, you would, you know, be so much more uh, knowledgeable about this, but from catching it to cleaning it to eating it all within 12, 15 minutes, awesome. it gave me, but, it, but it gave me such an, an odd feeling at first because I was like, I've never done this before, you know? And many people for many years lived that way and still do, you know? So I think like if people just, you know, get over that hump or don't pay attention to that yeah. hump, you know what I mean? Um, it's healthy. Oh yeah. It's, 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 it's clean and it's, uh, I think it's very responsible, you know? Um, but it's this whole other, it's just kind of like the way things should be. You know what I mean? I mean, Absolutely. you know, towns have always had butchers and um, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And it's incredible to me that this day and age that people still do that, like in a good way, you know? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm involved in the industry, so I know some of the numbers, but like uh, fishing license sales and hunting license sales are down. Huh. And uh, there's numerous reasons for that, but I, uh, none the least of which is... Uh, there's not as many people out there, and, you know. Basically, how do you start hunting? You're great. You're you're either born into it, or yeah. you have a relative who can get you introduced to it. But if you're from an urban environment, that probably isn't going to be the case, and right. it's it's increasingly difficult to find public lands where you can do do so. Um, technology grabs your attention faster than the trees. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. So it, it's it's a dying art in some some senses and uh you know i don't know the answers and stuff but i i know personally every person that expresses interest in wanting to go hunting and fishing i will make the time to take them right. hunting and fishing that's it's, all i can do it's just it's fresh air and i mean like you said yeah like people technology grabs you quicker than 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 the trees do you know yeah. what i mean but i think hunting aside i think the 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 health benefits not only for your my you know your body but for your mind i think yeah. the health benefits of just the sunshine and oh, the yeah. fresh air and 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 chatting with your buddy you know what i mean yeah. I, I i sat in a in an ice fishing hut a couple of days ago with friends and you just you just you just talk you know what i mean because yeah. you're not catching much <laughs> right well i'm not i'm not at least but and you you just talk right and you know even at the end of the day even though you didn't catch anything it's kind of like hunting even though i didn't catch anything well I got fresh air. Mm -hmm. I got some exercise walking across the lake, and 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 you got to chat with buddies, crack some jokes, and you know what I mean. So um, it's very important. But yeah, I mean, if anyone, if anyone wants to, uh, uh, any questions for Nick or any questions for myself, uh, we're both on Instagram. Nick's on Facebook. Vantage Point Media House. Yeah. Um, yeah.
I think uh, I think it's great. Thank so, you so much, man. No problem, man. Yeah. But you got to make me a deal. Yeah. Next time we see each other, yeah. you're coming over. I'm going to cook for you. You're going to cook for me. You and Aaron both come over. Done. And and <laughs> just don't make fun of me too much. But I'll do my best. Buddy, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Appreciate for being on the show. Guys, uh, talk with your mouth full. The podcast where I cook for guests from all walks of life. Uh, and, and, and we chat about food, all things food. This was Nick Pujic, uh, Hunter Fisher. Um, yeah, just an all-around great guy. Um, Instagram, at Matthew DeMille. Uh, have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening.